0: Welcome to the Thinking Finance podcast. The following podcast will feature opinions and comments on financial markets and instruments. Nothing in the podcast should be taken as direct financial advice. Financial advice should only be taken after all individual circumstances have been considered. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Thinking Finance weekly ...finance-related podcast with a bit of fun at the end. I'm your host, Ashley King, financial advisor from Lancashire, England. And I just wanted to start off this week's episode by saying thank you. It's obviously, we the podcast has been live for under a week. I think we're on about 180 listeners now across three platforms on Spotify, Apple and Anchor... From what I understand is that the podcast is available on all main platforms now. I'm really appreciative of all the support I've had. I've had a lot of message, messages, a lot of feedback. Anyone who, who wants to say something, wants to ask something or wants to hear something, something they might change about the podcast, please do let me know. I'm new to this as as well as uh, the, the listeners are, so I'm making it for other people Please tell me what you like, what you don't like, and I will hopefully improve as we go on. But yeah, massive thank you. Thank you for all the shares, the interactions. If you're not already, please do go to my Instagram, which is at thinking underscore finance. That's at thinking underscore finance. There's plenty of tips on there. Uh, I did a QA for the initial mortgage episode, which was out last week. I hope to carry on with these kind of interactions. Send me a direct message. Everything's anonymous. Please do carry on with that. Sharing, listening, giving me feedback. I really appreciate it. But yeah, thank you for everything so far. I just wanted to quickly recap on last week's episode. So last week we was talking about property and mortgages. And a lot of the discussion was around this generation rent, how hard it is for first-time buyers in the modern age, or as millennials, to actually get on the property ladder. And I briefly spoke about that. Boris Johnson had said in the Conservative Party Conference that he wanted to turn generation rent into generation buy. No one was sure about how he was planning on going around that. I felt that it was probably going to be something around the help to buy scheme. It has now this week coincidentally been announced that the help to buy scheme is being extended with a few key changes main changes are is that there's now a smaller cap on the property value it's 1.5 times the average house value in the area you are buying i think it's about two hundred and forty thousand in the northwest of england so still plenty big houses still only for new build properties but it's also now only for first-time buyers so anybody who's in a perhaps lower valued house hoping to move to something bigger with a bit of government support unfortunately is going to be left behind uh, in the new scheme But hopefully there's more developments as they come along. I noticed that one lender, a a bit more of a specialist lender, came back on the market with 90% mortgages this week. That was Accord. They have been pretty prevalent throughout lockdown and uh, the COVID-19 crisis. And I expect that to continue where they come back online with 90% mortgages for a month or two, drop off and back on and off. Uh, repeatedly but hopefully it's a sign of things to come in the new year and more and more lenders get on but anyway on to today's episode which is investing for beginners now a lot of questions i've been asked has been around this Uh, certainly when people learn that i'm a financial advisor whether that's my mate or or people acquaintances people i meet uh, at different events that it's always a key thing that people ask me. What should I invest in? Where, where should I put my money? And it, it, it's such a diverse question that I can't even start to, to, uh, to tell someone directly. So if you think that this episode is going to be me saying, put all your savings into XYZ PLC, you'll make a fortune. Unfortunately, it's not. I'm just wanting to give people a bit of an overview, a bit of guidance of what to look out for and how to go about investing. Now when I was doing my research and my pre-work for this episode, I actually wanted to think what, well, I, was, I was going along the lines of what actually is investing? Because when you say an investment to someone, they automatically think stock market and it isn't the case. So, I wanted to write down my own definition of investing, which I put down, putting money towards something with a hoped positive end outcome. And then I googled the Oxford English uh, Dictionary definition of uh, investment, which is the action or process of investing money for profit, and then there's a link to the definition for investing. Which, in a financial sense, is to put money into financial schemes, shares, property or a commercial venture with the expectation of achieving a profit. That's pretty much accurate. Uh, I can't argue with that. Now, a lot of people will know the sayings of you know, like investing in yourself or investing for the future. Such as paying money towards exams or putting yourself through uni with the hope for, say, a higher salary in the future or more knowledge. In a financial sense, obviously, we're looking at making a profit. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. So, the first thing that people need to understand when it comes to investing is that there's different asset classes you can invest in. Now, I'm just going to put a bit of a disclaimer at the start that anything that I talk about in the episode isn't a recommendation i'm not telling you to pour money into any shares etc it's something that has to be done either through an advisor or if you're going to do it yourself you need to understand the risks but as well as that i just want to make another quick footnote that i'm not going to be discussing bitcoin or cryptocurrency this episode it's a completely different brand new asset class And I think that that warrants its own episode, because a lot of people have a lot of questions on that, and as a a footnote, as part of a general investing episode, I don't think I'll do it justice, in terms of explaining risks and what it is, so yes, in the future, it will be series one, I'm not certain yet, I think it's penned for about week six, may change, but cryptocurrency will be covered in its own episode. So let's talk about the asset classes that you can invest in outside of that. Now there's four main asset classes. There's cash, there's property, there's equity, and there's bonds. That's cash, property, equity, and bonds. I'll go through them one by one and give you a bit of a brief overview. So cash is pretty much what it says on the tin. Now, when people put money away, a lot, most people do if they can afford it, put money into savings each month, whatever that is. What you don't actually realize is that you are investing. You are investing in cash. Um, when you invest in cash, you're looking at getting a return through interest rates. So, when you put money in the bank, the bank will generally have an interest rate on your account that interest will be paid over a year or six monthly or however often they pay, and that is where you would achieve your growth. Now, a common thing that um, I, I spoke about last week, and it's linked to this, is interest rates are obviously very low at the moment. It's beneficial when you're getting a mortgage or you're borrowing money on a credit card or loans because you're paying a lower interest rate, it's cheaper to borrow money, but the adverse effects of that is that your savings accounts are barely getting anything. I know me personally, I my main bank account is with the Royal Bank of Scotland, and my savings account, I am I get 0.05% interest, which is pretty shambolic to be honest uh, if, if I put £100,000 in that bank account I would get about 50 quid a year um, I don't know about you but if I had £100,000 to invest unfortunately I don't um, I would want more back than 50 quid, but in return of that that £100,000 is pretty much rock solid safe because cash doesn't depreciate in terms of its actual monetary value it's only inflation that affects it now i'll briefly talk about that inflation is the price of goods over time i'm actually going to share something on my instagram today which is a price a a, a menu from a bar in 1971 i almost wept when i saw it because the price of guinness was 16p wow i i guinness 16p i'm still speechless now talking about it it's obviously it's my favorite pint but yeah back then 16p for a pint now i know wages were dramatically lower but as we discussed with house prices compared to wages and the disparity in how they've grown it's pretty much the same for goods so now a pint of guinness if you're lucky you might get it for 300 uh, 350, 350p, £3.50. If, if you're lucky, if you're in a city centre, you're probably looking at a fiver for a pint, but we'll say £3.50 up from 16p. That's what a 20, 20 25, 25, 24 times price increase. And the average wage back then will have been about three or four thousand pounds a year. If you got a 20 odd times te- increase on that, you'd be looking at average wages of about 60 grand. That isn't the case, as we've discussed, but yeah, just to relate it back to investing, that means that if the interest rate on your bank is low, which they are at the moment, and the price of goods goes up quicker than the interest rate on your bank account is that you're actually losing real value of your money so let's say you've got one pound saved in a bank account actually i do have one pound in my savings account with rbs at the moment because there's no point me putting any more in it but if you have one pound in and they pay you one percent interest which i wish that i wish bank accounts paid that much these days but one pound and getting one percent interest that's one p over the year. Now let's say inflation goes up by 2% and a pint of milk is 1 pound. That pint of milk is now 1 pound and 2p. So whereas in the first year your 1 pound savings could buy you one pint of milk, now your 1 pound savings which is worth 1 pound 1p can't buy you a pint of milk anymore because milk has grown in price more than the interest on your savings which is why people are now starting to look at other options to actually try and get a bit of return on the money. The second asset class I discussed, uh, I mentioned was property. Pretty straightforward. I I discussed it a lot last week, so I'm not really going to go into it this episode, but property, you're either buying it for rental income or you're buying and doing up a property to sell on for a profit for a bit of a capital gain. Obviously, It's a lot more complicated than that. There's issues with what you have to put down. You've actually got to, in most cases, borrow money to invest in property. It's pretty much the most expensive asset class to invest in because of the amount of initial capital that you've got to put down before you actually buy something. Now you do have an option of investing into property funds. I'll discuss investment funds uh, later in the episode, but for round speaking, a property fund is an investors have all pulled the money together so there might be a 100,000 investors, the property fund might have 20 million pounds in it and that may own a lot of properties, buy to let, commercial properties, which hopes to increase its share price and pay dividends to its investors through those returns. So that's a way to invest in property that's low cost, but obviously your returns are gonna be watered down compared to if you buy the property directly. But on the flip side, it's much cheaper. Bonds was another asset class. Bonds are very much like cash, where your return is received in the form of an interest rate. Generally conceived as a safe asset, but there are riskier bonds which will pay you more interest. But on the flip side, there's a chance that you won't get your money back. But essentially, what a bond is, is a loan. So you're lending the money to something, to someone, either a company or a government, and they promise to pay you. Say you give them £100, they'll promise to give you £5 a year for five years. And then at the end of the five years, you'll get your initial money back. you get your 100 quid back. But over the time of that five years you will have been receiving 5% a year. Now, the difference in companies is similar to how shares work. So the higher the risk company, you may get a higher interest rate, but then the lower, the more solid companies that are already pretty financially stable, they're going to pay you a lower interest rate because you're pretty confident that you are going to get your money back in the end. Let's compare it. Say you lent £100,000 to Tesco for three years. And Tesco said, OK, well, we you, we will be able to repay you £100,000. But because you're lending it as now, we'll pay you 3% a year. So you'll get your 3% each year. And then at the end of three years, you'll get your hundred grand back. Now, if you lent that £100,000 to Big Bob's Garage which is a small independent garage on the a6 in charlie you're less certain that big bob is going to be able to pay back your hundred thousand pounds you're going to need a bit more money in the meantime to to validate that risk so big bob might say right i'll give you 10 percent a year for five years and then i'll give you 100 grand back now your running yield, which is the amount of money you're getting each year, is going to be higher. But at the end, is Big Bob going to be able to pay up? I, I use Big Bob as a Max and Paddy reference for anyone who's a Phoenix Knights fan. But, um, yeah, that it's, it's a sliding scale. So, obviously, with a bond, if you put it into a more risky company or a more risky government, you can get government bonds. The difference between what the british government might pay you when you lend them money and that is possible it's through an instrument called a guilt are pretty low interest rates at the moment because they're very safe but obviously interest rates are low you can be pretty sure that the british government will pay back your money but if you lent the money to say the the bolivian government you're going to want a higher interest rate because if there's civil unrest another uh, you know intercountry country war or a revolution that money's not coming back to you so that's where you need the, the trade-off and then of course finally and this is what everybody who has asked me questions is most interested in there's equities which is your stocks and shares I'm trying to say that properly rather than in my thick lancastrian accent stocks and shares rather than stocks and shares But yes, they are what they say on the tin you are buying a share of a company. Now there's different ways of doing that. And I don't know, obviously, everybody has a different internet algorithm. I'm not going to get into whether Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook and Instagram are spying on you and listening to your conversations. But one thing that is a fact is that you get targeted ads so if you are googling new toasters and new 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 kettles all the time and searching through and going through home pages on Instagram and Facebook you will start seeing more adverts for kettles and toasters and homeware appliances because that's what their algorithms do they they target you to try and advertise things that you may want to buy now I obviously read a lot, research a lot, post a lot to do with finance. So I get a lot of adverts on finance, but I know that people who've looked at these things before, just normal people who don't have any ties to the financial world, do still get targeted by these adverts. A lot of them are scams, to be honest. There's a couple of popular ones on Facebook. I'm sure you'll have seen them even in passing. There's one of them with... A picture of this morning uh, Phil and Holly and the articles basically saying it looks like a genuine newspaper article saying oh Dave went on with his revolutionary trading platform and made Phil and Holly 500 quid in 15 minutes you can do that too just go on this website send this money, there's another one uh, a Dragons Den related one where apparently someone makes Deborah and 700 quid during the pitch they're all false then ones, they're adverts for high risk trading platforms, a lot of them are just direct scams where if you deposit the money you're not going to see that back. So do be aware of these targeted ads, you know that the more savvy and the more trustworthy financial companies won't be targeting you saying Send, invest this money now, they will explain the risks to you beforehand. And you will be able to make an informed choice. Now, to buy shares. A lot of people will have seen adverts for, certainly people who watch football, will have seen adverts for trading platforms such as eToro. Now, I want to talk about the difference between a trading platform such as eToro and an actual stockbroker such as Hargreaves Lansdowne or AJ Bell eToro and the other ones i think there's I Interactive or Interactive Investor and a couple others they're not actually stockbrokers so when you invest through them you're investing in the underlying in in something related to an underlying asset i.e. a stock but you're not actually buying a share of that company so whereas your balance may go up with dividends because the trading platform pay them out you won't have any you won't have a share certificate so you won't actually own any of the company and you won't have voting rights now obviously if you're just a smaller investor say like i have been in the past you your voting rights aren't really that important to you but you do you do need to be a bit worried because On websites like eToro, you can heavily leverage your moves. You can buy percentages of shares, which through a normal company isn't isn't possible. So let's say it's a $1,000 for one share in Amazon. You can still invest £100 into Amazon through eToro because you're not actually buying the share. You're just buying an instrument that moves up and down with the share price. Now, generally, they're a little bit more volatile, I'm not a fan of doing it like that, because I think that's for people who are trying to make short-term money. In general, it's a bit more of a gamble. Try Trying to figure out whether a share price is going to go up or down in a day. It It's akin to gambling, it's a, a, putting a tenner on a horse, or having a spin on the roulette wheel. I think that if you're investing, you should be investing for the long-term. And I'm going to talk a bit more about that, but... No, there are benefits of using a trading platform like eToro. So, for example, you can, like I've just mentioned, you can buy, um, it, you know, invest in something that's linked to Amazon's share price, even if you can't afford a share in Amazon. There's low costs in this, but the risks are higher, whereas in uh, a company like AJ Bell or Hargreaves Lansdowne, you'll have to pay the stockbroker a trading fee, so normally it's about a fiver or a tenner for a single trade. But if you're investing a decent amount of money, you that, that shouldn't affect you too much. But you are actually you will get issued with a actual share certificate, you'll be notified when you are allowed to vote on company actions. For me, it's my preferred way of doing things because in the past where I've invested for, for, for short term gains I I have still used the 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 general stock brokers but generally as I've, as I've got more experienced investing for the long term and I think that you need to be doing it properly if you are hoping to. Now the difference between buying a direct share and an investment fund is direct share you're buying one company you're buying a portion of one company. However, many shares you are buying, an investment fund will be. You'll be buying shares in a fund that is invested in maybe over a hundred companies or maybe less. They might be in a certain sector. They may be the whole stock market of whichever one you're going into. So, for example, you can buy shares in the FTSE One Hundred. And by doing that, you'll own a fund that owns a little bit of each company in the FTSE One Hundred, which is uh, the the British Stock Exchange, the London Stock Exchange, and through that you kind of spread it, spreading your risk. So, for example, if one com if you buy a fund and one company in the FTSE One Hundred goes bust, then you you, you, your fund value may go down slightly but you won't lose all your money because you're still invested in the 99 other companies and then when another one gets added you'll get a portion of that now if you was invested in the shares directly in that FTSE 100 company it went bust well you know tough luck that's it you've lost your money You, you that and that is the risk now obviously With a fund, you're spreading that risk across many individual shares or or even asset classes. You know, funds generally invest in a bit of cash, a bit of bonds and property as well as the stocks and shares. But on the flip side, because that risk is spread out, you're likely to receive a more steady return, but not as high. I remember the first time I ever bought a a, a, a share, i just started working at AJ Bell. I, one of the big things I loved about AJ Bell was all the lads and a, and a few of the, the, the girls as well were investing all the time and we were all talking about the shares that we were buying. Back then though, I've mentioned this in my trailer or introductory episode, I wasn't earning much money. So I didn't really have much expend, um, you know, discretionary spending money. I may might have had four hundred pounds a month, let's say. So if I was buying a share, I was putting like a hundred pounds in, which in the grand scheme of things, if I buy hundred pounds in Tesco, that might buy me fifty shares. But in a penny stock, I might get a thousand or ten thousand shares. And the first share I ever I ever bought money in was a company called Red Leopard Holdings. Now, I will bet that unless some of my former colleagues at AJ Bell are listening who used to wind wind me up and tease me that I'd bought into that company, no one will have heard of who they are, and rightly so. They're now bust. I don't think they're even trading anymore. It was a highly volatile share. In fact, the share price when I bought it, I put £50 in. So I bought fifty pounds worth, and the share uh, and my dealing fee was a fiver. On top of that, so I had to make ten percent just to make my money back on this share. And Ten percent, so it's a big return. You know, if you think that cash counts, are, are um, only giving you interest of naught point whatever percent. Ten percent is huge. So that was a big swing, but I bought this company, and the share price at the time was 008 p. So you could buy 12 shares in this company for a penny. That was how risky it was, that's how low valued the company was. I can't even remember what the company did. I've I've got a feeling that there was just a holding company looking at investing money. But the reason I bought money in the shares, and I knew it was a gamble at the time, was that there was a big action coming up, and it was a 50-50, whether they was gonna get through it or not. Now if they didn't get through it, the share would have been delisted permanently, or if they did get through it, I felt, well, people will think there's life in this old dog yet, or old leopard, and uh, the share price will rock it. What actually happened is that the company passed this corporate action about a month after, so the share price went up by about 250%. It was the biggest riser on the stock market that day. My 50 quid became well over 100 pounds. And after that god i i i I wasn't half the smuggest person in the office now since then um for for the couple of years I worked at a j bell i was we was all buying penny shares. some of them would be like dodgy African mining companies or or strange Scottish technology companies generally. I never bought a share when I was at AJ Bell that was worth more than 40p for one share. I used to buy these high-risk shares, look at them all day going up and down whilst working, if any of my former bosses are are listening. Um, but yeah, I, I used to like them for the risk. I wasn't investing for the long term. I was investing to make a couple hundred quid a month. Largely, I think probably in the end, leaving AJ Bell, was probably down a little bit, or I might have broke even, but it it wasn't proper investing, because I wasn't investing for an end outcome, and that's one thing that I want to drill home, just before we finish up the investing section, so when people say, what should I put my money in, so somebody anonymously asked me a question on Instagram, uh, not last week, the week before, and they said, I've got 30 grand in the bank cash, what should I do with it? And I basically said to them, I can't answer that because I don't know what your objectives are. If you're looking at buying a house next year, well, you you just keep it in the bank. Because although you're not going to get a return in that year, or that six months, you're not going to lose anything you put all that 30 grand into a risky stock let's say you'd put 30 grand into red leopard holdings okay in that account in that instance you'd have come up trumps you'd have made 70,000 pounds in the matter of a month that'd be you know astronomical returns but a lot of the time that wouldn't have happened that was a high risk very high risk investment that smart money not my money my money was dumb money but smart money wouldn't have gone near that because the the, the chances of losing that money i judged it at the time as 50 50 and i thought well i can afford to lose 50 quid it won't, it won't be it's just a, a a night out for me and charlie if you'd have put your 30 grand in that and it, it, it you, you'd have lost it you, you'd have had no rights you couldn't sue anybody you'd have just you'd have lost your money so i think when you consider an investment what's your end outcome are you investing, if you've just got a new newborn baby and you're investing for the, them to go to university in 18 years, yeah, by all means, get it in an equity fund, high risk, but high, high returns over the time, and, and just keep ploughing away, putting a bit of money aside each month and letting that tick over over time. Or if you're doing something for next year, you, know, you need to be in, in, in the, the safer assets, if you are considering buying a direct share, I would always say invest in something that you know or that you're willing to know, you're willing to learn and get get, get to, to grips with. So for example, one of my closest friends, I, earlier this year, I was talking to my mates and I said, oh, market's dipped, or oh, everything's crashed, I'm going to invest in two companies because from investment companies Commentary that I've been getting, I think that they're in the sectors that are going to do well, and I've picked these individual shares because I think they're undervalued at the moment. And in six months this year, I, I made a decent money there that that actually paid for my my summer holiday that I did get away for um, to a beaver for a week. One of my mates, he started looking at shares at the same time, and he said, "Right, well, I'm going to invest in video games because I'm into my Xbox. I know what I'm talking about." and then he had a look at what companies were listed on the Stock Exchange that were video game companies so he he picked out about 5 and then of them 5 he knew what games they were all releasing that year and he felt that one of them companies had the strongest lineup of 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 games to come out that so he invested in that and he did it did really well it turns out that they were in an industry that was undervalued at the time everyone was on lockdown, so a lot of people were playing video games because they were at home. The company did have a strong lineup of games and, you know, over the space of a year, he's probably made 15 or so percent and done really well out of that because he's invested in something he knows. If my that same friend had invested in a company that sells motorbike tires, I don't think he would have had the first clue of where to put his money and he'd have probably put it in a company that wouldn't have done well because nobody was buying motorbikes during lockdown. And he, he may even if uh, they were, there was no guarantee that he would buy buy shares in the right, the most successful company that sells motorbike tyres. So you've got to look at if you're going to buy an individual share, buy something that you're either willing to learn about or that you already know about. But generally, I think if you're investing for a few years time and you want to make some s- s- some money I would just say put it in an investment fund and let it tick along don't even pay attention to it just set a budget that you can stick to every month and let that that money just gradually grow over time so I have some in, uh, investment and uh, financial planning software that I use with all my clients generally I use it for retirement planning But I actually, before this podcast, I did it this morning, I put in a passive investment that just simulates what the returns may be over the next 40 years, and I simulated a 25-year-old putting money aside for either 10 years, 20 years, or until they were 60, and I changed the value to £25 a month, Fifty pound a month or hundred pound a month, you know, depending on what you can afford to save each month. So let's say you were saving up for a wedding in ten years' time. If you put twenty-five pounds a month away in this investment, and in let's say ten years, you're putting away probably two hundred. Well, you're putting away three hundred pounds a year. Over ten years, three hundred pounds. That's three thousand pounds. Put it in a passive investment. My simulator came back that you would have. Just over five grand. So that's a good return over um, ten years' time. Your three grand is now five grand. If you put that a hundred pounds, or that would be twelve hundred pounds a year, or ten grand, or, or or so over that same ten year period, that same pot is nearly twenty thousand pounds. And what I'm trying to stress to you here is. If you can afford to put aside some money each month, just get used to it. Put it as part of your budget, your monthly ISA contribution, into an investment fund. Just let it grow in the background. And you know you might have a nice surprise in a few years' time. If you're not going to miss that money, and quickly, if you make it a spending habit, you will not miss that money. I'm going to share some more data of this over the next few weeks. But it is worth considering whether you do it yourself or you you ask a financial advisor to set it up. Whichever way you go about it, when you when you're talking about investing for the long term, set a mud budget that you can keep to each month, and then just let it passively grow. You don't need to sit down on these trading platforms and trying to uh, catch time the market. There's people who work. Eighty hours a week down in Canary Wharf in London, proper stockbrokers, proper traders who still lose money on trades. Like I say, eToro have a have a warning to their credit that seventy odd percent of people lose money when they try trading. If you if you wanting to invest and grow your money over the long term. Get it into a fund. Research your fund and see how it's done over the last few years and let it just grow in the background. You don't need to look at it every month. Just set a budget, stay disciplined, and that's where you'll, you'll over, over the long term, you'll really see the benefits. So I hope that was a bit of use for you. I'm going to put some more content out because I think investing, I'd just like to give a brief overview today. But in general, it's, there's so many things for you to consider that I can't even cover it all. I'll probably do one episode just on the stock market. I've already done one just on property. There'll be other, other bits that I, I will be talking about. So I'm going to put some more uh, things out there that can help you, uh, give you a bit of guidance. Happy to speak to anyone who has any questions. But in general, that's run a lot longer than last week's because it's such a big topic. That was Investing for Beginners. Now I'm going to spend less than 10 minutes now. Just talking a bit about finance in films. Now a lot of people probably think that. uh, I love my job. I think it's fantastic. I get to do so many things. I visit all over the show. But one thing I will say is. Even when I worked in a stockbroker in Manchester. Or an investment firm on Deansgate. My Career has not looked like Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but certainly I've never had a dwarf or a midget thrown at a target in my office. The most probably wild thing has probably been drinks in a boardroom, uh, a couple of beers before going out in town. It's, it's not like that. But I was thinking about it because I was actually Googling films. I've seen most of them. I'm googling films that have finance as a central plot point, and every single one of them, of the ones I'd seen and the ones I'd heard of and read about, uh, and, and did a bit more research this week, they're all negative. Every single one of them shows financial services in a bad light. Now, financial services has generally got a bad rep with with certain age groups. And a lot of it's warranted. You think of things like PPI, the 2008 market crash. A lot of it was caused by people being greedy and mis-selling products. Now in films, that is completely magnified. It is just the plot point. And I was thinking, well, why is that? I don't get it. But then, looking back... There's plenty of documentaries that show finance in a good light, but nobody's going to watch a Hollywood film of a financial advisor giving solid advice to his 50-odd-year-old clients planning for retirement or a a, a couple buying a mortgage because it's boring. There has to be something interesting. And in finance, it's so easy just to put a film together showing a financial event that was caused by somebody's greed or or bad ethics and, and and make a Hollywood movie out of it let's take the Wolf of Wall Street for example I absolutely love that film it's it's tremendous there's so many funny scenes God when um, when when the playing beer pong with, with whiskey and Jonah Hill's character is, is is off his face and he starts going Steve man. I absolutely... I wet myself there. And, and and the film itself is great. The book's good. I really recommend it. I've read quite a few of Jordan Belfort's other books in terms of how he approaches selling, etc. But at the end of the day, he's a criminal. And the film kind of glorifies that. You don't... You, you, you kind of breeze over it. So when he... Go loses his job on Wall Street after he's worked his way up, and and you have that whole montage of him doing his exams and uh, in in the strip clubs etc. And then on his first day, the market crashes. It's Black Monday, and he loses his job and is looking at, at, at other jobs and he manages to get a stockbroker job in that that really rough place that uh, Spike Johns is the uh, main. Main, uh, main man there and a the couple other, uh, somebody from my name is early is in there as well <laughs> you, you, you you when you actually objectively look at that scene where he sell, makes that massive investment and gets the huge commission and everyone in there is used to making like $20 trades and he he just goes ahead and does, I think it's a 10 grand trade or a 4 grand trade, whatever it is it's thousands of pounds Objectively looking at that, ski, uh, that that scene, he is openly in the film selling something that you, you, you see is a, is a rubbish stock to somebody who doesn't have much money and kind of scamming him out of it. And it's really breezed over in the film because if you think about it, the only other scene it's pulled up is when his wife says to him, well, why are you selling these stocks to people who don't have much money? Wouldn't it be better if you sold it to rich people who have the money to lose? And then he makes this whole internal speech going, well, rich people are too fucking smart to um, to, to buy penny stocks. And then he comes up with this whole script that makes rich people buy penny stocks At the end of the day, that film is based on two scams. It's based on, one, selling crap stocks that aren't going to make much money or have more chance of losing big money to people but selling them as the next big thing. And then the other part of it is manipulating stock prices, which is obviously a huge crime. But because of the party scenes, it's really glorified. And I think... There's so many people who, I, I remember, I watched that film in the cinema. I watched it with my mates, thankfully, um, whilst my girlfriend does like that film. I don't know if she'd have uh, appreciated me watching it in the cinema where, with Margot Robbie running around Starkers. But you, you, when you look, look, look back at the film and the reaction to it at the time, i remember loads of my mates or people i said had seen it coming out of it going oh yeah i'm well going to go into stockbroken i'm going to be an investment banker me that makes it look really good and i'm thinking well it doesn't that that isn't stockbroken investment market investment banking and financial advice that's ripping people off and it's the same in so many big films and the Big Short is another one. I love that film. It's it's it it's really interesting and Steve Carell's character in it, I think for the moral, the morals he uh, he discusses in it is something that I will be covering in another episode further down the line. But The Big Short again, it's based on an event that was caused by greed. Now, it, it, for anyone who doesn't know, that film's about the 2008 market crash a lot of people who will have watched that film would have lost money in their pensions or investments or on the mortgages maybe even lost the house Uh, somebody i know he's one of uh, he's he's, i I, i've got younger brothers who play football and uh, one of my brother's um, one, one, someone else on his football team. He, his dad or uncle, I think it is. He was telling me that he lost money in the two thousand and eight crash. Now, if you watch that film, it's about people who managed to take advantage of the the market crash and make an absolute ton of money. And if he watches that film, he's gonna watch it with resentment because he's watching all these people being cel- celebrating in in the face of making making money where millions are losing money and again it's showing finance in a negative light now to the credit of the director of the big shot it shows both sides of it you see the negatives you see the people losing the houses and crying etc so it does make you sit back and think but in general all the big finance films they just show it's just negative and i know and it is because you need if you're going to Put a film through Hollywood, you need to to make an angle. And with finance, there's just no real angle of people making loads of money through an honest and nice way. The, the closest finance-related film I saw that was positive was Will Smith in The Pursuit of Happiness, where he gets a job as a stockbroker at the end. Sorry, spoiler alert. But that's not really about finance it's about his journey of struggling and having nothing but never giving up and then getting a really good job at the end which obviously makes him wealthy at at, at the end but you 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 never see any of that outside of that they're just all negative and i'm thinking it's no wonder no one trusts you if you say you work in finance because why would you all they've got to go off is the news and Adverts such as financial scams, that was a good one, uh, or Hollywood, where shows us all as greedy, money grabbing idiots. So, yeah, as much as I love films that, that I can relate to when I see, in the, at the end of the day, they're just not showing us in a positive light. So, I do, I would recommend more. If, if you're interested in finance and getting into it, you want to be reading. Um, there's so many good books uh, 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 on economics that may bore most people to sleep, certainly. People who enjoy watching Wolf of Wall Street for the, uh, the drug fueled <clears throat> frenzy that it goes through. I don't think that if anyone who's interested in a career in finance... Is trying to get inspiration through these films. I'm not sure you're going to find it. It's you certainly. The, those films are about a lifestyle rather than the actual industry. If you are interested, do get in touch. I'll recommend you some books. It may might it it may bore you to sleep. but but at least you're not being sold the wrong thing such as Jordan Belfort's clients were in the Wolf of Wall Street so this episode's probably run run on a bit longer than expected because I spent well over 35 minutes talking about investing and I'm still not finished talking about that there's going to be more episodes around that but please, as always, give my Instagram a follow it's at thinking underscore finance I'll be pushing out content weekly uh, every few days you're going to see something i'm going to put more and more stuff up about this investing because i think it's what a lot of people are interested in i've had a lot of requests around it so yeah get down to at thinking underscore finance on instagram thanks for giving me a listen any feedback that you have please share it with your friends send me any messages that you want to hear next time every episode out of uh, Monday evening, so you can listen to it throughout the week. Thanks again for listening. I'm Ash the King. Take care and enjoy your week.